Specialty Story, session number 92. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week where I get to talk to an amazing physician about her specialty. This week is no different. I get to talk to Dr. Nita Ogden, allergist and immunologist, and we get to talk all about her career as an allergist in a community setting. Now, Dr. Ogden has been out of her training for about 13 years at this point, and she's going to share with us everything that she loves about allergy, things that she doesn't, tips and tricks for you as you are going through the process to hopefully one day become an allergist, if that is something that you are interested in. We start the conversation by finding out when Dr. Ogden became interested in allergy. I think it was, I remember I was, I was in, there are two paths to allergies, um, allergy fellowship. Um, one is internal medicine residency and the other one is a peds residency. I did internal medicine and I remember I was on an ICU rotation and a patient was very sick and needed uh, penicillin desensitization, I think, for endocarditis, and they needed penicillin derived antibiotics. And I just found it so interesting that that it just seems so. First of all, so specific and so um, interesting. Like the allergist came with his kit and all these, you know, syringes. And I mean, to be frank, before that, I hadn't. Um, experienced much in the world of allergy and allergy desensitization and what that involved. And um, something about it seemed really precise and um, systematic and also very specialized. And that I started drawing me into it, I have to say. Um, And then I got involved with the allergist at um, the hospital where I was training. And I, we did some HIV um, research together and I saw sort of the overlap into immunology and, you know, I knew I wanted to specialize and I just sort of went for it with allergy. So it wasn't until your actual residency, your in residency, when this kind of light bulb went off for you, right? Yeah, exactly. I do come from a family of doctors, but again, you know, my mom was an internist, my dad, a pulmonary critical care specialist. I never came across really allergy in their world even. Um, so it was during my residency. It's funny that you, you mentioned that. And I'm assuming that the, the allergy exposure for you as a, as a human and your family is probably very minimal as well. Just like people not suffering from allergies. So you weren't exposed to it. To be honest, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't have, you know, I barely, I didn't even know anybody in school who had food allergies now Mm -hmm. that you mentioned it or even asthma or any of this. So that says a lot about how our world has changed too. Well, it's interesting because it's changing, but there's still so many people. I, I have a, a wife with very severe allergies, and it's just amazing the kind of ignorance around allergies. If we we tell someone, oh, she's allergic to cats, and they're like, oh, we'll just we'll put the cat downstairs. It's not a problem. I'm like, well, no, it, it is a problem. I still can't come into your house, and so um, uh, exactly. it, it's 
it's one of those things that you can't, especially when you're picking a specialty, you can't know what you want to do until you're exposed to it, until you know about it. And so you were exposed and luckily it worked out for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. (laughs) What else was in the running at that point for you? Oh, um, let me think about this. Um, you know, this was when I was a third year and I honestly was kind of just in my world of medicine. I might've just done internal medicine. I didn't want to do cards or GI or all those typical routes. Um, I had always loved, you know, things involving skin too. Like I had done some cool dermal. I went to medical school in the Bronx at Albert Einstein Mm -hmm. and, um, I did an amazing derm elective there. So there was a lot of overlap between allergy and derm too. And I think that, but I didn't want to be a dermatologist per se. So when I got sort of re, not a reacquainted, when I when I explored allergy again, that overlap too in terms of skin diseases, appreciate, you know, appealed to me. But honestly, I wasn't thinking of anything else. I, I probably would have gone around with the route of uh, internal medicine, to be frank. Um, so... Uh, yeah, it was just, you know, I, and then I, I spoke to, uh, this always helps. I had uh, older residents who were matching in allergy and um, they sort of guided me as well. They were really cool, nice people. And it just at that time seemed also like a great lifestyle specialty, frankly. I, I, I was feeling slightly burnt out and I knew that I didn't want to be, you know, taking crazy call at the hospital and running to like, you know, the cath lab or something. So um, I can't deny that 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 played a role in it as well. You said you were in your third year at that point. So residencies winding down. Was it? Oh, was sorry, it... I'm thinking four years of med school. No, oh. I I was a second year okay. internal medicine resident um, when it, the light bulb sort of went off that I might like this. Okay, so you still had time to figure it out to apply and all yes. that fun stuff. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I was wondering that that's kind of cutting it close, unless you were going to yeah, do like a chief year or something. Too late, way too late. Okay. Very cool. So let's talk about what you're doing day in and day out. What sorts of patients are you seeing? What sort of disease processes are you seeing as an allergy specialist? Well, you know, to be honest, the world of allergy, since I even, you know, talk about uh, my my internal medicine residency experience has exploded and changed dramatically um, in the last uh, decade or so. And that's with this huge rise of food allergies and also environmental allergies just skyrocketing for many different reasons. Um, so my day-to-day practice is very much uh, a private practice uh, where I see a variety of both um, children and adult patients. I'm ma- managing anything from most commonly, I'd say I see a lot of skin allergy. Um, I see children with food allergies and I see basically um, allergic rhinitis um, and asthma. So it's your bread and butter allergy stuff. I don't see a lot of complicated immunology, uh, but once in a while things like that come up. But uh, for the most part, it's it's those. But there is a ton of rashes and hives um, and allergic skin reactions, more than I probably would have thought I would see. Um, and I think the hives in particular, like chronic idiopathic urticaria, is just become an incredibly common disease entity. I'm not sure why. I see a lot of that. Um, and right now, of course, in the season, um, it's asthma and, you know, sneeze, wheeze kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Talk about the the specialty name for a minute. So t- 
typically allergy and immunology go together when you're talking about allergists. And and it's very similar, it seems like, to hematology and oncology. Like there's two separate things that are kind of squished together. What is that that kind of division there with with the specialty? Yeah, I mean... Allergy is ultimately driven by immunology and the uh, immune system um, and the the, the TH2 arm of our immune system specifically. Um, So I think that's where it's rooted. And but there is a very specific discipline of immunology um, that has things like, uh, you know, CVID, you know, common variable immunodeficiency, stuff that's like in your medical textbooks or on my allergy boards. And, you know, for an allergist like me, you don't, I don't see as much of that or as I've learned about, do you know what I mean? And as name would speak to, frankly, um, I don't have a ton of patients on like IVIG, for example, infusions. Um, I have had some, you know, basic, um, CVID patients who have had that therapy, but I can't say it's the the bulk of my practice. And I think that there are allergist immunologists who are heavy into immunology and those patients gravitate towards them. Um, But I think ultimately to answer your question, it's because we're, you know, it's driven by the same sort of um, pathophysiology, human pathophysiology. Is there any sort of division between potentially those more immunology patients being seen in academic settings versus out in the community? Yes, 100%. I mean, here where I live, you have the luxury of saying, oh, okay, just go to this X person at this medical center because there's so many. Mm-hmm. But I 100%, you know, sort of defer to academic medical centers all the time for immunology, uh, complicated immunology, or even to bounce ideas off of, you know, you know, if am I doing this correctly? Or, you know, um, so but, you know, not everyone has that luxury, but you're right in saying that. I think immunology, because it is kind of rare and um, and and it is, I don't know, a discipline that is highly evolved in academic centers. Um, I think that's typically what happens. What was your decision for going out to the community versus being in an academic setting? You know, I have to say, I like really miss being in an academic setting. Um, you know, although I do, you know, see patients in a hospital, it's not the same thing. I I was driven by lifestyle choice. I joined a family, my my family who are doctors, and they're a multi specialty private practice. It gave me incredible flexibility of time and hours, um, and you know, overhead. Um, and so it and and. You know, frankly, being a, a mother, um, I felt like it just I I was going to be more successful in uh, treating my patients and giving them if I had that level of flexibility rather than being in a strictly academic center where I was a salaried physician, you know, and I had to be very accountable to what the demands of a hospital. How much diagnostics are you doing day in and day out versus patients coming to you with a diagnosis and you're just treating? Oh, um, I'd say I'm doing diagnostics for every single, almost every single patient. Patients come to me, you know, and are, are referred to me to find out what they're allergic to. Uh, there's always a patient who doesn't need any diagnostic testing because they have, for example, an intolerance or something that's not allergic at all. But I'd say 95% of people um, get some sort of blood work or allergy test or PFT in my office. Describe a typical day. 
Um, typical day, I'm walking into my office and um, have a bit, pretty busy schedule with the staff of three to four people helping me. And, you know, I'm rotating between three exam rooms um, where I'm doing a variety of exactly what I've talked to you about. A lot of skin testing, a lot of patch testing, a lot of pulmonary function testing. So there becomes a economy of space because patients often end up staying in an exam room for a considerable length of time. Um, I've found ways around that by bringing them in um, on different days for just certain testing that... um, you know, like my nurse practitioner could help me with. Um, but I, you know, it's just a, a constant rotation between those kinds of things. I don't do that many food challenges, which is what occupies a lot of time for allergists who are heavily involved with food challenges uh, of children. Um, but in scenarios where I am challenging a patient, again, you need a dedicated room in your office for several hours. Um, to monitor them, to go through the steps of the challenge, to observe them um, as they take these incremental doses. How much uh, procedure work is there for someone who likes to do procedures? Um, you know, there are procedures, but it depends on what level you're talking about. Like, you know, if it's not like, you know, again, to, talk, to reference cardiology where you're doing uh, cardiac catheterization. I mean, the procedures are really something that you can farm out to staff if they're trained well. And if you're, so you're doing scratch testing in the office, um, pulmonary function testing and um, patch testing application and uh, removal. Um, I've seen other allergists do something called like rhinometry where they're, uh, you know, or, or variations of nasal endoscopy. Um, you know, those are different procedures that people can get involved with, but I'd say the bread and butter are very simple. As an allergist, you have to take call? Yeah, you have to take call at the hospital. Um, certainly, I'm on call for my patients. Um, but then, you know, as being an attending with privileges at a hospital, I'm taking um, call. How often am I taking call now? It's spread out between a lot of doctors. So I really have to check. It's, I have to be honest. It's not that often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not often enough that you don't even remember. That's a good I thing. Know. <laughs> yeah. What does call look like for an allergist? What are you what are you being called in for? What types of calls are you fielding as an allergist? I mean, a lot of it it could be angioedema. You know, it, emergency rooms have become so um as allergy has grown and the intranet and there's so much out there about allergy and people have become more aware. I think ER docs have become really good at treating allergies and allergic reactions and sending people on their way. So I I rarely get called, but you will get called for uh, something like a desensitization um, for a patient who needs it um, or angioedema at times just to you know, offer insight that might not be something that you want to wait for um, them to see an allergist in the outpatient. Um, really complicated asthma can also be an issue. So, um, but again, it's not that often. And, uh, you know, I think internists, general doctors and ER docs know how to get patients to a safe place and then discharge them with instructions to see an allergist. Do you feel like as an allergist, you have enough time for life outside of medicine? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really one of the nicest specialties in the way of that you can have a, you know, kind of rigorous work life, but um, you can still, uh, you know, spend time with your family and have hobbies. And it's not, you know, my husband's a neurosurgeon. He doesn't have <laughs> as much of that. <laughs> a little less flexibility there. Yeah. So like, that's why I, I chose this, you know, um, that's really a big part of it. 
What does the training path look like to become an allergist? So you're going to go to medical school, obviously, for four years and follow that up with a residency in either pediatrics or internal medicine. Um, And then, um, as we discussed, around your fourth year, you're applying for a fellowship, an allergy fellowship, allergy and immunology fellowship. um, And you go through the process of uh, basically applying. And I don't know how much it's changed since I did it, but, you know, I went applied and went on a ton of interviews, um, you know, talking to attendings and spending a day at these hospitals. And then, um, and then you wait to hear back in approximately like the spring, early spring of your, of last year of residency, um, for internal medicine, your third year, you hear back whether you can offer a space. When I was applying, it was becoming pretty competitive. Um, I think largely because of what I was telling you that you're doing, you can bill for sort of these procedures um, and you don't have a pretty okay lifestyle. So I've, I've, you know, I've seen, I think the world of medicine has seen that those specialties become coveted and, um, and they are, in, you know, they are things that are not as easy to attain. And I'm not sure what it's like now though. Yeah. For the, the people who go through pediatric residency into allergy immunology, are they able to treat adults as well? Or are there specialized allergy immunology fellowships for peds only? Uh, no, the, the fellowship is really for everybody, peds or adult um, backgrounds. And then ultimately, when you go out into the world, you're treating both. Okay. So if you're seeing allergic patients, you're equipped to do both. Okay, very cool. What, yeah. what should a student be looking at doing to to be competitive to match into allergy? I think they need to um, find the you know chief of allergy immunology at their hospital and of course get involved with research and show an interest because um, that person's going it's a very small community and that person is going to ultimately write them a letter, make a phone call um, you know and just sort of speak the truth about them mm-hmm. so um I think that's the number one thing that you can do is, is really show a sincere interest um, and, you know, truly research and dedicated work never hurts. Mm-hmm. Once you are uh, an allergist, you finished your fellowship training, are there opportunities either officially or unofficially to either even further subspecialize? There are certain medical centers, Mount Sinai in New York City, for example, which is like the mecca for food allergy and They've really established the practice parameters and allergy for food allergy uh, diagnosis and challenges and treatments. Um, they have a food allergy fellowship. Um, and I think they have other kinds of subsets, maybe one or two, where you can, it might be within the food allergy subset of like Chinese medicine and allergy, um, different arenas where you may be able to go deeper. Okay. And for the osteopathic students listening to this, do you see any negative bias towards osteopaths in the field? No, not at all. I mean, I, you know, I feel like that's kind of an out the door. And well, I don't know, but these people <laughs> can do it. But I feel like that must be such an antiquated idea now because <laughs> there's so many DOs everywhere. They're yeah. orthopedics. They're here, there, and they're great, amazing doctors. So no, never have I encountered that. Good. For the future primary care doc, I'm, I'm sure you you integrate a ton with primary care physicians. What do you wish 
they knew about what you're doing day in and day out to help their patients and ultimately help your patients earlier? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, And it is so relevant to allergy. Uh, Number one, I wish that they wouldn't just test willy-nilly to allergies. Um, If somebody says, I think I have a food allergy, and they just run a battery of food allergy tests because uh, they don't always know how to interpret them. And people leave the office thinking that they're allergic to all these things that they have to stop. Um, when in the reality is that we all have antibodies circulating to different foods in our bodies and they have no clinical relevance without a history of a reaction. Um, so I don't know. I think it's important for them to know how to interpret those tests or just leave it to the allergists. Um, I also think, again, this issue of like intolerance versus allergy, just you know, not leading people to believe they have an allergy when it's actually an intolerance. Um, I think uh, I'm seeing that a lot of primary care physicians um, do know the updated food food guidelines in terms of allergy that all infants should be started on um, nuts and peanuts in infancy. That's not as much of an issue. Um, you know, and, and that hopefully is going to turn around what we've seen in terms of peanut allergy rising in the last two decades. Asthma is another one. I, I always hear that somebody said their primary care or their pediatrician said they don't have asthma because they're not wheezing. <laughs> um, and, you know, we know that things like cough and not nocturnal cough, especially in children, is a wheeze equivalent. Um, so that's something that, you know, I wish I wouldn't hear as much of because it makes parent, patients doubt you, especially parents, when you want to start an inhaled steroid and they start feeling that you're like over medicating their child and they, you know, things like that. Um, those are some of the big ones. That seed of doubts is hard to overcome. Exactly. Yeah. Besides primary care, are there any specialties that you work the closest with? A lot with dermatology. We have a lot of overlap. Um, but you know, it's interesting. There's such distinct entities too, but yeah, there's a lot of overlap with dermatology, sometimes GI, because people's ideas that their GI symptoms are due to allergy. And I, I never want to um, rule that out or, or tell somebody that that's not the case. They often end up being an intolerance or maybe will lead down to the road of celiac or something. But um, there can be overlap in that as well. ENT for sure, but with sinus, sinusitis, polyps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of anything what else. about palm? Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and with pulmonary and derm, we're often treating pulmonary, we're definitely treating the same things um, with asthma. And, um, you know, it's really a matter of choice who people want to see. I, I think people should see allergists. Because <laughs> so, much, so much of asthma is driven by allergy and um, allergists can do a bit more to help um, in terms of allergy shots. But um, yeah, you're right to bring that up pulmonary. And that's, that's the beauty of the practice I'm in with my parents, because now my dad does less critical care and he has a huge pulmonary practice with, um, so we get to see a lot of, we get to discuss, um, cases and asthma and new therapies or new biologics that are changing the world and landscape of allergy, immunology and pulmonary. And that's an exciting thing too. It's an interesting kind of thought that you brought up about palm and allergy kind of treating and covering the same thing. There, there seems to be a lot of turf wars going on in a lot of various fields of medicine. For the right. future primary care doc, 
what should spur them to send a potential new diagnosis of asthma to a pulmonologist versus an allergist? You know, if it looks like it's driven by seasonality or possible triggers, um, children, I think children typically have allergic triggers and can be really helped by allergy shots. And very specifically, the asthma can be improved by allergy shots. Um, if there seems to be less of a, a component that the asthma is coming from, you know, specific triggers, like I said, pulmonary might be the better route. But to be honest, the medications that they're going to use, pulmonary and allergists are going to use, are going to be exactly the same. Mm. So you can't go wrong. Now, if the child continues to fail seeing the pulmonologist, maybe that pulmonary person is going to say, okay, let's get you to an allergist. Um, so I don't think there's turf wars in that respect. A pulmonary doctor is going to want to help them. Um, but we all use the same medications, really. So it's, you know, it's just, it becomes almost sort of philosophical at a point. Yeah. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for an allergist? Oh, yeah. I mean, a huge part of my um, life, not huge, <laughs> I'd say a big part of my life as a doctor is spent doing work in the media. Um, I've done, I've done a lot of TV and a lot of educational, uh, media, um, around the issues of allergies. I think as allergies have just become such a hot topic and there weren't that many allergists doing, um, kind of TV work. Um, and you know, now that's even like, um, broaden into general medicine because I have a background in internal medicine. I can sort of speak to, you know, most things that come up um, in the world of TV. So, you know, there is a lot of diversification of doctors at this point, whether they be writers or, um, like you, you know, having a podcast. Um, and so this is one aspect of that. Yeah. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into allergy? I guess, you know, how to really optimize the, there's so much you can do in allergy, but it really requires, a level of business savvy and, and like running a smooth ship. Um, you know, and some hours have really done well in terms of figuring that out um, so that it's efficient and lucrative and helpful to patients. And I don't know that I've gotten there yet, um, even. And I, I struggle with that a bit in billing. So tying that all together. Um, but, you know, that sort of like forces you to be more of a, a business person. And it, there's only so many hours in the day. I wish there were more. Okay, I can do more podcasts. Right. <laughs> what do you like the most about being an allergist? Oh, it's just, it's a, you know, it's a field where you can legitimately make people feel better, especially now when allergies are through the roof. Um, there's some simple steps that, and even though so many allergy medications are over the counter, I don't think people know how to use them efficiently. And um, that, I really love that. I love being able to, um, just create a plan for people, whether it be for food allergy, for their asthma. And I, I truly see the benefits of them very quickly. What do you like the least? Um, chronic issues that uh, are refractory to treatment. One of the worst being chronic idiopathic urticaria. Um, it can make people miserable. And, you know, in many cases, they don't respond to therapies and, you know, thank God for some of the biologics out there, but they don't always qualify some of my patients. So that's tough. And the chronic asthmatic, who's also now, thank goodness again for biologics on the horizon, but you know, people who are chronically on steroids, that's no fun. Yeah. 
Do you see any major changes coming to the specialty that somebody thinking about allergies should be aware of? Um, yeah, I think I was reading something about that allergists have fought this, this FDA regulation that allergists can no longer make shots for their patients. It was going to go fall under some kind of regulatory um, situation. And that would be problematic for somebody going into the field about allergy because that's a huge source of income um, if you're preparing shots um, and administering them. Um, the automization of skin tests and interpretation of them could be something down the road that um, may, again, take the allergist out of the picture. But, you know, like I said, medicines have gone over the counter and you would think no one would need an allergist, but people need that expertise about how to tie it all together. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be an allergist? Um, yeah, I love <laughs> specialty. I really do. I don't think there's any other specialty in medicine I would do. I, I think it's so interesting and people always stop me with their medical questions and they apologize. And I honestly, especially if it's like a medical mystery and allergy, like you have my ear. I'm, I'm so you know excited by the subject. What's the biggest medical mystery allergy related that you've seen? Oh, God, let me think. Um, lots of cases of reactions that, you know, you're such a detective when you're allergic, when you're an allergist of me trying to really figure out, could it be this? Could it be that? Like getting the, you know, old records from multiple physicians, you know, doing literature searches of what different types of reaction looks like. Um, I think one of them is a case I've treated recently of um, drug reaction of, um, with eosinophilic like systemic syndrome and the patient is still itching and it's driving me crazy. Um, so think that that's an often, uh, that's often something that comes up where you can't find that one allergic trigger that if you removed it, the patient would get better. Yeah. Any last words of wisdom for the student or resident listening to this, thinking about going into allergy at this point? I think that, Allergists are needed, really well-qualified, intelligent allergists who are willing to spend time and speak to parents and children. Uh, it's a specialty that's going to continue to be incredibly relevant because allergies are only going to get worse. So it's, it's good to know that you'll be so vital to people's lives, but remember that you know you have to have that sort of component where you're willing to make time for people in that way. Um, and a lot of handholding and empathy for what they're going through, which is truly the case of many disciplines in medicine. But I, I feel it an allergy a lot. And I would say that there's a great temptation too to go more um, business route and have you, you count that opportunity and people do it in allergy. And I don't think it's necessarily ethical or the right thing to do where they create multiple clinics that just give allergy shots. And that's really antithetical to what I'm talking about. So, you know, that's my parting words is sort of Keep in mind how valuable you are and how uh, much a difference just your words and your education can make in the lives of um, patients. All right. There you have it. Again, Dr. Nita Ogden. She has a website, which you can go find at nitaogdenmd.com. She does a ton of TV work, which I didn't know until she talked about it and going to her website. She's been on Dr. Oz and the doctors and so much more. So go check her out, nitaogdenmd. Dot com. Hopefully this was helpful for you if you are interested in allergy and immunology or even as a future primary care specialist. I think Dr. Ogden shared a ton of great advice for you as a future primary care doc for your patients. 
Hopefully this one was helpful for you. I hope to continue to help you in the future. We have more great guests coming up. So don't forget to subscribe. Let your friends know about this podcast so they can listen and learn as well. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. 